Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Fachi. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Razor catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in! Duarte for three. Boom, baby! Anthony attacks Hibbert! Denies him at the rim! Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert! Skies high for the jam! Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket! Jackson turns, fires, and has... Bringing that smoke! Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hands! What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I am your host, Alex Golden, and I'm joined today by, you guys know who it is already, the one and only Michael Jerome Fachi. Fachi, what's up, brother? Alex. We're talking about a win today. I don't remember the last time we did that. I know I know we beat the Jazz for our last win, but I can't remember if we podcasted like the day afterwards or anything. But the Pacers finally break one of the most disgusting streaks in the NBA. They were 0 for 22 without a lead at halftime, and they got the win against the Lakers. Well, not only was this an important win, it was the first road win since November 22nd. So bad. Almost two months ago. So pretty big stuff here. And it always feels good to take down LeBron James. I mean, what a what an incredible way to end a, end a great night. But the only bad thing is DeMontis Sabonis gets a high angle sprain. He is out for the Warriors game. Looks like Levert and Brogdon are questionable. But I want to look at the bright side here. Karis Levert, 12 of 16, 22 points in the fourth quarter, three of four from three. This is the perfect game for him to have against the Los Angeles Lakers as we're three weeks away from the trade deadline. It really is. I mean, this is like Lavert on full display. Look, Sabonis gave his ankle for this W. Yes, he did. We appreciate and applaud your efforts. One thing I want to point out, great that he stayed in there for you know, a bit, just showed it was gritty. Anyway, yeah. back to back to Lavert. Look, this is the type of performance that you're looking to see, you know, when you're talking about increasing someone's value. He goes 30 points. In 27 minutes, nearly outscores the Lakers by himself in the fourth quarter. Uh, looked fantastic. I mean, this is a guy that had, I think it was like eight points going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, eight points going into the fourth quarter and really just turned it on. Looked amazing. And it even got to the point where, you know, guys like Russell Westbrook had to be benched because Levert was cooking. Yeah, I was. I'm just glad Frank Vogel didn't get fired yet. I would have hate. I would have hated. We, the, mm-hmm. we owe him more than that, right? We you know do. what I'm saying. You know, but uh, I feel bad for Vogel because this roster is just absolutely terrible. Um, but I, but I think we need to give some props to Domas though because 20 points, Fachi, 12 rebounds, 10 assists, one block, just one turnover, a plus 10, and he had a 75 percent shooting from the field, nine of 12, and two for two from three. With a sprained ankle, hit a three to put the Pacers up eight. What I mean, what has gotten into this man? He's been playing great basketball late. He really has his third triple double in the last seven games. I mean, Sabonis, once I mean, I don't remember the exact point when they started playing more through Sabonis, but once they started really getting him involved more, we saw a guy that that looked every bit that he looked like last year. I mean, he's been really dominant lately. It's been awesome to see the injury. It, it comes at a terrible time. Look, I, I hope that Savonis does not miss too much time, but at the same point, I don't want to rush him back. But just to put things in perspective, I mean, of, of how this man has been trending, I would say, uh, in November, averaged just under 16 points per game on 53.3% shooting, 
that would be good for a lot of people. I mean, 12 and a half rebounds, great. Ups it in January to 19 and a half points uh, on 12 rebounds, nearly 60% shooting. Fantastic. Mm. January comes around, 22 and a half points per game. He's averaging 11 and a half rebounds, seven assists per game on 62% shooting. And wait, there's more. Alex, he's shooting nearly 53% in the month of January from three. Oh, I love to see that. Yeah. He's been playing a lot better. I won't lie. And, uh, you know, I I thought about this a little bit last night when he did come down with that injury. I was wondering if the Pacers would pull him out and they did not. They let him play through it. So does that scream to you at all? Like, hey, uh, we're not going to trade this guy. It's going to take a lot to do it. And uh, we're not really thinking about moving him. So that's why they let him play through the ankle injury, because if it would have been somebody else, maybe like Laverta Turner, feel like there's a higher possibility they would have pulled them out to not further injure that uh, that ankle. That's a great point. Look, I don't think Sabonis is going anywhere. I don't. Uh, I think that, you know, they really wanted this win because the Pacers, they desperately needed it. They lost 13 of 16. I mean, it had gotten really ugly. And once they had an opportunity there, I feel like this win, it, it actually meant something to the team. And it shouldn't, and, and it shows of how we got here. But one of the quotes that Brogdon said is, we celebrated when we got to the locker room. It's frustrating being in foul trouble, talking about Levert. He's resilient. He's mature. So talking about they celebrated, like, wow. I mean, that's how badly <laughs> this team needed a win. Born 17 on the road. I think my favorite tweet that I got last night was from at Zeno M. He said, the tank has to stop for fuel sometimes. <laughs> like so Might as well do it in L.A. So, you know, yep. hey. He's got a point, right? So he did. I, I love beating LeBron James. It, it, no, nothing excites me more than that. Um, I do like Frank Vogel, though, so I hate seeing him not, you know, you know, doing well out there. But I, I will say this: last night, while that was just a little bit of time, I really liked what we saw from both Goga in a short stint and Isaiah Jackson. Isaiah Jackson played better than Goga in that first half, which is why he got the second half backup center minutes. But you know, it looks like now, Fachi, we're going to be looking to Goga and Isaiah Jackson even more as we monitor this DeMontis Sabonis injury. Look, I hate that it had to come at the, you know, the expense of Sabonis and, and Miles Turner, but us Pacer fans, the organization, everybody who's invested in this team needs to see extended minutes of Goga and Isaiah Jackson. And you touched on it. I, I thought Goga played well in the beginning. I just don't understand why he didn't get back in the game. I mean, talking about, you know, Two blocks early on, finishes a, a dish that came from Brogdon. I mean, this was something that he played about three minutes early on, and, and that was it. Uh, Isaiah Jackson comes in there, immediately gets a block. I mean, I, I need to see more. I'm intrigued. Uh, Isaiah played 10 minutes last night, and it's good to see him playing meaningful minutes because you learn a lot more about a player when the game actually matters. And I'm very excited to see the two of them. Uh, I mean, do we think that Gogo just immediately slides into the starting lineup, or do you think they're going to go with a small ball hmm. approach? I would assume Goga starts because I think Rick Carlisle values room protection. So I think – I mean, that's why we've seen Goga and Sabonis play together uh, multiple times throughout the games where they've been in the rotation. So I know that Sabonis isn't a great rim protector, and I thought last night you saw a lot of really good ball movement and um, a lot of good defensive movement as well. In terms of Isaiah Jackson being out there, they were able to switch more than they had previously with Sabonis, right? I, I just feel like Isaiah Jackson's quick enough that he can stay with guards. Torrey Craig, while offensively he was really inefficient, he was incredible on the defensive side of things and really, you know, had things in control when it came to guarding LeBron. You know, shocking. You know, that's what we talked about after the Pacers lost to the Lakers at home, like, why is it Torrey Craig out here guarding LeBron? Like, why is mm -hmm. it Sabonis or Brogdon? Like, this is what you brought him in here for. And I, I think he's kind of got forced to be guarding him because, you know, with all the injuries, but this is what Torrey Craig does. Rick Carlisle did say that in the press conference. So I'm really just, I'm amazed by how this team looked and how well they played and how efficient they shot. But I also want to tamper expectations because last night, the Lakers playing Carmelo Anthony, your boy, Carmelo Anthony. My boy. I will take that. He was absolutely putrid defensively last night. Yeah. I mean, Karis LeVert had him in a spin cycle multiple times. I mean, Carmelo Anthony, they attacked him and attacked him and attacked him. And on the other side, Jeremy Lamb played almost the entire fourth quarter. And I think they attacked him maybe like twice the entire fourth quarter. Like, 
hello, wake up, Lakers. What are you doing? Falling asleep out there or something? So I, I, I want to give the Lakers, I want to thank them very much for uh, allowing the Pacers to get a feel-good win because they were just really bad at what they did. Yeah, there, I mean, there's one highlight that's made its rounds where Carmelo Anthony looks like his GPS is rerouting. I mean, this man is lost. He's spinning around just like Levert has like five feet, you know, to, to get a three-pointer up, makes it. Um, this Lakers team, I mean, just defensively, just atrocious. They are towards the bottom of the league, giving up over 112 points per game. Uh, you know, the Pacers, a team that we knew had been really struggling, shoots nearly 50% from the field against the Lakers, manages to out-rebound them. I mean, these are things that, you know, the Pacers have not been doing well lately. So that was great to see over there. You know, going to Torrey Craig, 13 rebounds, fantastic. Highest yeah. plus minus on the team last night. Awesome stuff to see. Second of all, LeBron got that L that he deserved. That was from back in Indiana. So, uh. You know, a little, little, little revenge. But, man, life comes at you quick because all of a sudden, the very next night, the Pacers turn around, and now we got to play Golden State without Domas. So, yeah, hey, it was fun while it lasted, Alex. Yeah, I think we just got to enjoy this one win. And, uh, we do. Enjoy it for now. So, Pacer fans, when you're listening to this podcast, more than likely, you're going to be uh, – it'll be after the Warriors game. So, I'm not sure what's going to happen there. We'll talk about that game next week. But um, I don't know if you saw my tweet or not, but I know you were at AEW last night. Oh, yeah. Having a little bit of fun out there with uh, some, you know, pro wrestling. And I think it's gotten way better than WWE. It has. Um, I've watched WWE for a long time, and I quit watching it right before I got married just because I just grew out of it. And I turned it on the other day, and I'm like, what is this? This is so bizarre. Like, it's it looks so fake now, and all the 3D animations with when they have all the entrances. It's it's, it's different. It's not bad, but it's just it's just different. But uh, on Twitter last night, I finally got to break the news I've been waiting to do all year long. Chris Duarte officially passed TJ Lee for total points in their career. It took <laughs> TJ Lee 146 games and just uh, Chris Duarte 37. So Chris wow. Duarte in 109 games less already has more NBA career points than the lowly TJ Leaf. Just, just unbelievable. I mean, that's truly quite the stat right there. I mean, Duarte surpassing Leaf over what four years, four, four and change. I know he got like a, a couple games with like the Blazers. Yeah. Whatever it was at, Fantastic shows that we've hit on this pick with Duarte because right now, I mean, it took it took one game to realize that Duarte was way better than TJ Leaf ever was. I mean, that the opening night, but it was even before that, like summer league preseason. I mean, it, it was evident. So, ah, shout out to TJ Leaf, man. I'd wish this would be one of the <laughs> last times he comes up, but Pacer fans, man, that that scar it runs deep. Yeah, no, it definitely does, especially when you see the guys picked right after him doing well, too. So uh, always an interesting time in the NBA draft. But I do want to bring up something today, Fachi, that came up in the NBA draft. I think we really need to hit on this. And so I sent you this link here from The Athletic. I'll read it real quick. It says, Kentucky Wildcats forward Shaden Sharp, 18, can apply for the 2022 NBA draft as an early entry candidate. The Athletic confirmed on Thursday. Sharp is formerly ESPN's number one prospect in the class of 2022. He turns 19 on May 30th and will be one NBA season removed from a high school graduation, which makes him eligible for the NBA draft. Sharp projects to be a potential top five pick. Sharp began the current school year at Dream City Christian in Phoenix, but had enough credits to graduate high school in October. He committed to Kentucky in September and enrolled at the beginning of January. Sharp has been practicing with the Wildcats, but has yet to appear in a game. Wow, this is huge, Fachi. Just huge news for the Pacers. It really is. And look, I saw the highlights that you ended up retweeting. And I mean, this kid really does look special. Yeah, really does. Um, yeah, he's got he's it all, man. <laughs> he really does. They're talking 6'4", 6'5", two guard. You know, sure, some people might be like, hey, what about Chris Duarte? Look, you take the best available player that you can get. Play so, them together. Exactly. So this kid looks like he can score. I mean, he can make shots. Endless potential. Now, will we see him this year in college basketball? I really don't know. He's practicing with Kentucky. Would love to be able to see him in there. Uh, you know, this draft class, initially, like, I wasn't really in love with it, but I feel mm -hmm. like this draft class just got uh, a little bit more exciting. So yeah. it seems like a great time for the Pacers to potentially have a top five pick. Uh, curious to see, you know, how it shakes out. If he will be the number one pick, maybe if he plays, does and he doesn't perform as well, does it hurt his stock or does it help his stock? So it could go either way. But man, I hope the Pacers 
or within reaching distance from him. Yeah, and our, and our good friend Rich over at Mavs Draft actually said that, you know, he might have him as his number one overall pick in this year's draft. There's a lot of buzz about the 2023 draft, which he would have actually been a part of, Shaden Sharp would have, had he not been able to play this year at Kentucky and, and whatnot. So now with him being in this year's draft, like, wow, this this worked out really well. And I and I also think, hey, you know, if you do like Jaden Ivey and, and Shaden Sharp ends up going number one and the Pacers have, like, pick four or five, well, that's just going to slide everybody down. That would have gone above Jaden Ivey. So that means he could be there closer to the Pacers pick. But real quick, I do want to give credit to Hoop Intellect. That's the tweet that I retweeted with some highlights of him, of Shaden Sharp. He said, brief look at Shaden Sharp. If you haven't seen him before, athletic two guard, about 6'4", 6'5", 200 plus pounds, plays bigger, terrific shot maker and score, fairly well-rounded. And our friend Mark Schindler said, to add on, one of the craziest ground coverage stride athletes I've seen recently. He doesn't seem that athletic when watching at first, but then you slow things down and recognize how quickly he covers the court, space he creates, and how ridiculous his skill set is. So uh, there's a whole entire thread there from Mark where he talks about it. So really just a massive, massive addition to the 2022 NBA draft and something to monitor if you're a Pacer fan, especially if this kid falls to the Pacers. Definitely. Look, I'm not going to act like I've been watching a, a ton of high school film, you know, recently. So I look to see this guy, you know, play college basketball. This would be the exact type of guy that in March Madness, a lot of people are talking about. And they're buzzing. Mm-hmm. But now that he's on our radar, now this is where things get exciting because this could be a potential franchise guy. And it's going to take some time, especially if he's making that jump just from high school, essentially, to the NBA. Yeah, you're getting to practice you know, at Kentucky, but if you're not playing, it's it's going to be still an adjustment. But given his, his age, given his potential, I mean, those are the exact players you take a swing on. Yeah, and, and it seemed like John Calipari talked about this about 13 days ago. He said the kid's not ready to play yet. They don't really have any intentions for him to play right now. They're not anticipating him to play, but if they have injuries and they'll look at it. So we'll see what happens. But he did say that he's got a lot of work to do. He told him, uh, he said that he told this player to go up. He told Sharp to go up and uh, touched the rim with his head. And so Sharp jumped up and touched the rim with his head. And <laughs> after that, he said, okay, go shoot some balls. And so when he was shooting the three ball or shooting a jump shot, he was like, why are you barely getting off the ground? You can jump and touch the rim with your head. You need to get higher on your shot. So he said, there's definitely some mechanics that he's got to work out. But with that being said, we'll bring on more people as the draft gets closer and closer. But right now we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to bring on Kevin Bowen from 107.5 The Fan, the Kevin Aquary Show, to talk about the Indiana Pacers and all the rumblings and rumors about uh, DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox. Joining us now is Kevin Bowen from the Kevin Aquary Show on 107.5 and 93.5 FM. KB, what's going on, brother? What's up, guys? Always good to uh, be on with you and appreciate you asking me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's jump right into it. I just got to get your thoughts on everything that's been going down with the Pacers this season as we kind of already recapped the Lakers game in our first segment. I want to get your thoughts on this Miles Turner injury news. What what are your what are your thoughts on this and how do you think the Pacers should handle this going into the deadline? Yeah, I think it's a real kick in the you know what. Um, I guess I'll be selfish, but at the same time, it, it's certainly a setback for Turner and his goal, I think, to find an expanded role because I just don't see that happening here but you know when I say kind of a kick in the you know what I'm speaking more from the Pacers standpoint in that you know it's going to hurt trade value Um, as we record this what three weeks from today I I just think there's reasons you know teams at the deadline are are in desperation mode Um, they're always looking for reasons I think to get out of desperation mode and kind of push back on uh, all of those chips in the middle of the table and I think this gives them um a, a great out in, in doing that. Uh, the injury itself doesn't sound like it's super severe, but it's a foot injury for a big guy that there were teams skeptical about his longevity in the career when he came out or his longevity in the NBA when he came out of, of Texas. So um, that I think is what's worrisome. And, and if you look at the trade reports of, you know, oh, well, you know, maybe the Pacers can get back something along the lines of what the Bulls sent, you know, Orlando for Vucevic. Well, uh, you know, uh, maybe now it's, you know, what the Magic, you know, got in return for sending Aaron Gordon to Denver. I mean, that, if that is more along the lines of an R.J. Hampton and kind of a late first-round pick, that's a whole lot different than, you know, multiple first-rounders or, you know, could you get a first-rounder and then maybe a former lottery pick that hasn't panned out in that previous spot. So outside of more minutes for Goga and Isaiah Jackson, 
Um, I, I think this is just a really, really big blow because you took a risk in waiting this long to move Turner. And if you wait till the offseason, now he's on an expiring deal. And we know that the leverage kind of goes out the window at that point. Terrible timing. I mean, look, we, people have been not chanting for the end of uh, Turbonus, but, you know, they, they've gotten to that point where they've wanted change. Now, look, change might not happen now in the sense of Miles Turner potentially leaving Indiana at the trade deadline. However, there's always going to be a couple teams that are still calling. Who would you say is still interested in Turner at this point? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and feel free to chime in with any teams that I'm, I, I'm forgetting, but it seems like the popular ones we've heard, Charlotte, um, the Knicks, uh, the Warriors, I, I don't know, the Raptors floated around. I kind of forget at this point who all has been floated around. Um, but I go back to kind of what I said earlier, of just who is still desperate and who's comfortable medical-wise. Um, you know, the injury itself, it sounds like it'll heal. And, you know, it, it's not, okay, maybe he's going to miss a month or something like that. Like, that's not the end of the world. Uh, but it is something to wear. 25 games last year for a turf toe late in the year. Now you're looking at another 20 games this year. Uh, you would think if you would make a deal for Turner and you'd give up the assets the Pacers would love for you to give up, the thought is you would extend them. Well, you know, does this cause some hesitancy on that front of, of extending Turner, you know, past just the one year he has left after this season? So, um, again, who is really going to be in, in that desperate mode? You know, when you talk about all in on this season, um, I, I guess, I don't know, are, are, are the Warriors even in that boat? I mean, I, I'd have to look closer at contracts and cap situations, um, but can you find a desperate team that is comfortable with the medicals? It, it, both of those boxes have to be checked. Again, desperate from the sense of, you know, we, we feel like, we're in win now, and he's the missing piece, and all of that. And then um, you come for the medicals. Obviously, that is an unknown for sure. So, boy, it's just – it's so Pacers for this year, this news. Um, so Pacers. And Turner obviously hadn't been playing great leading into this ever since he, you know, made those comments to the athletic. Uh, but, boy, outside of Goga and Isaiah Jackson getting more minutes, which is needed and necessary for their development and to get a proper evaluation on them, uh, this is just a total, total gut punch uh, to starting this this retool. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the thing where I'm just kind of stuck here thinking, okay, if the Pacers, you know, don't find a deal they like before the deadline, are they really going to find something that much better in the offseason? Because it's going to be on that expiring contract. So, to me, it, it, it makes me wonder if they would almost just be better to accept the best deal available before the deadline, even if it's not exactly what they were hoping for, just to rip the Band-Aid off. They've already, you know, they've already kind of screwed themselves in a sense, KB, by, by not making a move earlier. They should have made it in the offseason a couple of years ago. That didn't happen. Then they held on to him, and last year was terrible, and he didn't really enjoy it. Scott Agnes reported that, and then open to change this year and he he's liked the coaching staff this year but hasn't once again liked his role so to me I, I just feel like even though the injury the best case scenario is he returns after the all-star break um, I think there's going to be a team that's going to offer something it might not be what they want exactly but I think at this point you just got to rip that band-aid off and accept that deal whatever that best deal is available at the deadline and, and just move on and, and be done with the Turner era. Yeah, I honestly think I'm with you as well. I mean, you guys and I have had this conversation before, um, whether it was this time last year, kind of the midway point when I felt like they should have been more of a seller than they ended up being, considering the T.J. Warren injury news. Uh, but certainly last offseason, you know, to me, Kevin Pritchard and Rick Carlisle seemingly agreeing on, hey, let's see if this can work. You know, no, like it's this is not modern day roster construction in the NBA. This is just not how it works at all. Another reason why I would move him now, like I, I could probably hear people out that want to debate, hey, if he fully heals, you maybe could find something in the offseason that could mirror, you know, what you could get right now at the deadline. I, I could listen to that a little bit. I, I probably don't agree with it, but I, I can at least listen to it. What I think is like another element to this that is so important over the final, what do we got, 30-some games, 35 games left? Like, you need to see Goga Batadze in a nice, consistent night-in, night-out role, slash Isaiah Jackson, but let's stick with Goga here. Um, 
and see what you have. I mean, this is year three for him. Uh, I, I thought, you know, I think it's such a mistake that teams make in drafting players is they don't give them the proper ability to showcase what they have. Um, it's probably a little bit more difficult in the NBA than it might be in the NFL. Uh, but, you know, oftentimes it's just like, you know, here's the draft, you know, pick. And, well, that was a misevaluation scouting-wise. Well, was it? Or did we just never really get to see that guy in the role that you are kind of, you know, trying to create a nice, comfortable environment for them, especially with European players? I mean, you can go down the list um, and Euros, I guess, for, foreign players as well, of it taking some time down the road. I think we thought, and Kevin Pritchard said this very early, you know, they thought Gogo Batadze would be a guy that could make much more of a day one impact than most, particularly as a rim protector. Um, but still, I, I just think that's a critical piece to getting an answer to your puzzle. Uh, because the reason why I have been a little bit more pro Miles than Domas is I feel like if you look at your roster, Goga has the traits that are similar to Miles than Domas. You know, a little bit more of a rim protector, can stretch the floor a little bit more. Uh, just a nice feel, I think, on the offensive end. So that, I think, is to your point, Alex, of just, you know, well, is the trade value that different now versus what it could be in June or July or I guess more like July or August? I, I don't know that for sure, but what I do know this, if you bring Turner back, or I should say you don't move him, and then you play him down the stretch, that is going to continue to stunt the growth of Gogo Batadze. And right now, I think you just need to rip that Band-Aid off um, for multiple reasons, one of those being, let's see what Goga has in these final 30 games. You know, I've really wanted to see Goga in extended, you know, expanded role. And the quote, He's ready to play. I remember hearing that when they drafted him. And yet right. a couple of years later, we're still waiting. Now, I thought Goga showed a lot the other night against the Clippers. Played 25 minutes, 17 points, eight rebounds. Flashed that rim protecting that you talked about when he had two blocks. Um, you know, even when one and one from three. Comes out against, against the, the Lakers, only plays a handful of minutes. So a little bit frustrating. Now with Sabonis likely out for at least a few games, maybe more, and Turner out. What are you looking to see from Goga, and how many minutes do you think he needs to be getting? Because I, I think right now there should be no excuse for him not starting for the Pacers. Yeah, I think it's a great point you bring up. I, I was looking to after that Clippers game, what did he play? Was it uh, for some reason 25 minutes is kind of sticking into my head? Mm -hmm. So, okay, 25. Um, I was curious. You know, I was thinking to myself, all right, how many times has Goga played more than 20 minutes in a game in his career? You know, we're now you know, past the midway point of year three. Uh, I want to say he's played 20 minutes in an NBA game 10 times in his NBA career. Like that, is, and I get it. You have Miles, you have Domas. I understand why he's not playing, but this is why the draft pick was head scratching when there's no moves in the next year or two down the road because you now are getting to the back end of his rookie contract. You're getting to where, Miles is reaching the end of his contract. Omos still, you know, another year or two away. But um, I just think it was such a um, – has been uh, stunting his growth. I'm not sitting here acting like Goga's a, you know, locked-in starter and a double-digit score in the NBA. But can he be your first big off the bench? You know, if he mm -hmm. can do that, he can still be here and still offer you something. So, you know, I think what you want to see from him at times, I feel like he can get a little bit lost kind of in, in pick-and-roll defensively. Um, you know, can he just stay on the floor and, and avoid foul trouble, protect the rim in some capacity, hit some open shots, and show good feel around the rim? Every time he shoots it, I, I feel like it has a good chance to go in. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He just – he's got a very natural-looking form, and I feel like he really has a nice offensive touch. So uh, – but, you know, the bare minimum, I, I would say 18 to 20 minutes a night moving forward, and certainly – you know, as we record this a few hours before the Warriors game, you know, him and Isaiah Jackson are going to play a whole lot. But even when Domas comes back, I think it's just critical that you give him consistent clock night in, night out. There's been flashes in the G League, but it's like, you know, all I was told on draft night and you and, and you brought it up like, you know, this guy's ready now. And also he was a top 10 player on their board. Well, well let's see it. Let's get him out there consistently. So now when you get to the offseason, you can have an answer on GoGov. All right, this is a guy that we really feel like can be a piece for us moving forward. 
or he's not. And now all of a sudden, you know, finding another big to go with, you know, let's theoretically say you trade miles to go with Domas to go with Isaiah Jackson is a little bit more of a, of an athletic kind of switchable guy. That is a priority this offseason. Yeah, I definitely agree with you guys both. We got to see more minutes from Gogan. I think Isaiah Jackson needs to continue to see more playing time because yes, I, I feel like whenever you see young players in the NBA, if they're constantly just sitting on the bench and not getting an opportunity, they're never going to grow. You can only do so much, you know, in terms of watching from the sideline and working with coaches in practice. And the G League, it's it's good for certain things to develop, you know, certain skill sets, but at the same time, you know, Goga goes down there and Fachi, you brought it up a couple episodes ago. You said Goga looked like Shaq in the G League, right? So it's like clearly, <laughs> clearly there's, you know, something that's there's a big difference in, in talent, obviously. So we got to see them against real talent. But I want to transition a little bit into Sabonis and this injury. And I know there was a lot of rumors going around yesterday in terms of De'Aaron Fox for DeMontis Sabonis trade talks. And I know you guys talked about it on, on, the, on the morning show, but you got to tell me, KB, are you a, were you even a fan of trading Sabonis for De'Aaron Fox? You know, you, you and I went back and forth a couple times yesterday. And, you know, Fox and a first-round pick for Sabonis, and I'm sure you probably would have to throw in a little bit more than Domas. I, I would have been willing to pull the trigger there. Um, you know, I get that your roster construction might not be perfect for a guy like Fox, but I think you could work around that in the next offseason or so and make other moves to help him out in that area. Um, I still think Brogdon off the ball is something that I would be, uh, you know, curious about. Um, you know, clearly that helped him out big time in Milwaukee, and there's moments when he can play on the ball. And, and when you put Fox on the bench or something like that, you know, Brogdon gives you a much different look at the point guard position. And I'm saying this because I don't think Brogdon is getting moved. Um, obviously, availability health-wise would worry me there. But I love the pace that Fox plays with. Um, I know his shooting is not you know, necessarily made at the level that you would want. Um, but again, I, I just think he'd bring a jolt to you. Um, you know, I think I've referenced this before with you guys, but I keep on coming back to um, Chad Buchanan's comments the night uh, after they drafted Cassius Stanley um, after the draft pick and saying, you know, we feel like we're skilled. We feel like we have high basketball IQ. We aren't one of the more athletic teams in the NBA. And there was such a uh, candid and I think such a revealing comment and so accurate as well. The Pacers are not on the athletic side. Um, when you compare them to 30 other, 29 other NBA teams, I think Fox would help you out there again with some speed, with some space, with some pace um, that I know it's maybe not what Carlisle loves to do, but I think catering to your personnel would be something that uh, he would need to be open-minded to in that sense. But again, having said that, I think Sabonis is such a special player and such a rare player that you would deserve to get more back than just Fox. And I don't know if Sacramento would be open-minded enough to, to do that, but um, boy, if you could throw in another piece and somehow, you know, the Kings indeed make miss the playoffs and now all of a sudden, you know, you've got two lottery picks going into next year and you're looking at, you know, some lineup of, uh, obviously you would retain Turner in this situation. That would be you know, a, a nice starting point. Uh, having said that, uh, I am more pro keep Sabonis just because I think he does so much for you offensively. Um, I get the loss of Turner would really hurt you on the defensive end. I think you could improve just with some wing perimeter pieces to help you out there. Um, so, yeah, I don't love moving Sabonis. That's probably why my asking price was a little bit higher than I think that initial kind of rumor I saw floated around. I'm with you there, though, because I, I felt that you know, Fox for, for Sabonis, while you need to throw in something to make the salaries work, maybe you throw in like a, a Jeremy Lamb or, you know, maybe there's like a Justin Holiday in there as well to make salaries work. I felt like a first-round pick would have been needed to really, you know, get the deal done over there. Um, Fox would be, I think, could be arguably the most talented point guard the Pacers ever had if they were able to acquire him. However, it that deal seems like it's shot down. Do you see any real suitors for uh, Sabonis right now? Because – I don't see the Pacers moving him, but you never want to say never if the right deal comes along. Would you see anyone still calling about Sabonis? Yeah, again, that one is tough for me just because I think Turner is probably the easier one to plug in. Um, now, after his comments about wanting a bigger role, maybe that's not necessarily true. Uh, but, like, Sabonis needs the ball. Um, yes, he, he's a great screener, and he can facilitate. He's kind of the second passer and things like that. But there is much more of a – 
Um, he needs to handle it, and the offense can kind of run through him at different points, which certainly can be looked at as a positive. But again, you, you've got to be open-minded to that. You've got to be willing to kind of, um, you know, whatever, expand your offense, change your offense, uh, because it is going to look a lot different than what most big men look like in today's NBA. Whereas Turner, again, it's, you know, blocking shots and it's stretching the floor. And, you know, if he gets touches in the post, cover your eyes because it's not going to end well. So I, I don't think that's necessarily um, what you're looking for in, in getting Turner. So um, I don't have as many easy answers with that. It would take more of a team and kind of a serious rebuild. Um, I mean, the am I, I don't know, you, you guys follow it a little bit closer than I, if I've missed some teams, um, the Warriors, I, I guess a little bit I've seen, but uh, you know, again, I just, I mean, would Sabonis get enough touches there? I don't know. I feel like I've seen Turner more than Domas, obviously the Kings we've already talked about there, but um, I, I'm very, I don't know if we'll ever get an answer on this, but like if it'll win the trade deadline, obviously it's going to happen when it comes and if the Pacers make moves, I'm curious how much the last 48 hours have influenced those moves. Turner, Sabonis related, and then Karis LeVert related as well. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it, all of a sudden he's starting to play a little bit better basketball. He's healthy. Um, you know, w- what does that trade package look like, you know, if you do dangle him? Yeah, I mean, I, I was telling Fachi in the first segment, his performance last night against the Lakers is perfect for his trade value. I mean, clearly he doesn't want to be on a rebuilding team. I wouldn't want to be on a rebuilding team if I were him, especially a team that just doesn't really seem to fit with his skill set. So if he could be moved somewhere and you could get something back in return, that'd be great. The The most common team that we've seen linked to Karis LeVert is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, and so we've we've gone back and forth with looking at maybe like if they'd be willing to give us Colin Sexton or Isaac Okoro um, right. uh, attached with that Rubio expiring since he's out for the year and then maybe send back Justin or Tory Craig in that trade just to make the salary work. But, you know, there's definitely some things to keep an eye on here. And I think, you know, there's a lot of teams that I think are going to continue to have interest in Karis LeVert just because anytime you can find a six foot six guard who can play one, two or three and can go out there and get a basket for himself at any point in the game. I mean, that's going to be enticing. So the Pacers, while he's not been a great fit here, I truly believe they think, I really think they need to look at their options and, um, and move him before the deadline because similar to Turner, he's on the same length contract wise and Zach Lowe said they were unable to agree on an extension. So maybe Levert doesn't really see himself here long-term either. So this to me is he's being a professional playing well, a lot of comments in the post game where he's, kind of went against what Carlisle has said. Uh, I've kept notice of that, especially when they lose games and they're, they ask him tough questions. But, you know, I think Lavert is a guy that could probably get you the most in return when it comes down to him and him and Miles Turner. So Lavert, you said same length as Turner. So yeah, he year, expires in 2023. Yeah. Yeah. I'll throw this question at, at you guys. Curious both your thoughts. Um, let's put players to the side for a second what skill sets would you want in return? Let's say you trade Turner and Levert three weeks from today. Um, throw in draft picks if you want, but what skill sets, positions would you want if you're giving up Levert and Turner? I would love a wing that could defend in a first-round pick. Um, or if could, could you find a point guard out there in a pick? I really don't – I think that's going to be much harder. But a talented young wing – and some type of first-round pick. Even if it's protected, maybe it's just like a, a top 20 pick. But, you know, if you're talking about dealing both Levert and Turner together, then at that point, you know, things get interesting. So it's got to be a young player in a first-round pick at minimum in there. And then we could take on some salary if we have to. Yeah, I would say that I, I've really been interested over the last couple of days in the Isaac Okoro uh, the package that I brought up with you. I think a Corey was six foot five, six foot six, you know, former top five first over first round pick, uh, fifth overall by the Cavaliers in 2020. I think that's somebody that you have to look at and say, okay, um, clearly the, the Cavs are in win mode right now. And so they might be willing to move on from him, knowing they've got to pay some of their other guys. But, you know, I like a Coro. I like someone that has that similar build, someone a little bit bigger that can play the three, that's more defensive minded. Um, you know, when it comes to Turner, obviously, you want someone that can probably slide in and play that four position. So, whatever 
player you can get from that. That's what you're looking for. And I know we've talked about point guard a lot. There doesn't really seem to be any big names of point guards out there that could be available at this point, aside from maybe Emmanuel Cook, uh, quickly from the New York Knicks. So I'm just kind of like wondering what's all out there. But, you know, I think for Levert, you really just want a, a wing that maybe fits, you know, a young wing that fits whatever uh, the Pacers want to do defensively. But I could also see them trying to maybe attach Turner and Levert together with a bigger trade with Charlotte to maybe woo back home Gordon Hayward, although uh, that contract is large and he's a little bit older. I, I don't think Carlisle wants to rebuild. So I've, I've thought about that deal quite a bit, and I could see Hayward, P.J. Washington, and something else for Levert and Turner being really enticing to the Pacers. Yeah, that's all very, very interesting. Um you know, point guard with pace pops into my head. Certainly a wing defender, especially if Turner is being moved. You have to get better on the perimeter. You know, I've always thought, what would that stretch for look like? Um, you know, TJ Warren playing the four was always something I, I wanted to see. Um, just never really got there. Um, certainly health playing into that as well. And then, you know, the draft pick is always enticing mm-hmm. you know, when, when you've have the draft record that Kevin Pritchard's had here in Indiana and Portland. Maybe it's not to a lot of fans, but still, I think it, the flexibility of if you're drafting, you know, seven overall with your own pick and then whatever, you've got a late lottery or something like that. And, you know, similar, I guess what Golden State had this year and, and it just offers you a lot of possibilities to where you can move up, you can package and move up. You can, um, you know, trade one of those picks for a veteran. You could, you know, sit there and just take both those picks and really kind of realign where you're at right now. Again, I know that might not fit exactly what what, what Carlisle wants, but, you know, I, I've said this before about the Colts. To me, why the season ended up being such a failure is because you missed the playoffs, you didn't get an answer on Carson Wentz, and you lost your first-round pick. I mean, you talk about, like, present whammy, you know, future whammy in terms of the Wentz answer and future whammy in terms of um, – you know, the most important asset to building your team, um, especially, I think, in the NFL, free agency is not as abundant as maybe some other, uh, or trades, I should say, and free agency aren't as abundant as it is in the NBA. That's just what the Pacers can't have. <laughs> like, they, they, they cannot get to the end of the year, and all of a sudden, like, I almost feel like you can't get to the draft, and your draft pick is like 12 or 13 again, and that's, and that's all you've got. Like, to me, I, I do feel like, Acquiring another pick is is critically, critically important here in the next three weeks. The Pacers can end up with a top five pick, and then maybe there's a pick that say, you know, even if it's like 18th overall, I mean, you're feeling really oh. promising with some great assets over here. However, one guy that I feel like has become an afterthought, TJ Warren. We've been waiting forever for him to return. At this point now, Warren, you know, it's been over, it's been about 13 months. What are you really looking to see out of Warren in the second half when he's entering a contract year and the Pacers are not going to be in or might not be in playoff striking distance, play in striking distance? I mean, I'll be honest. uh, My expectations are low. I I, I hate that they're low, but I mean, when a dude has missed over a year, I I don't know how you can have anything really grand. if you told me right now T.J. Warren played 15 to 20 games for the Pacers to end the season, I'd say, where do I sign up? Um, the free agency situation with him, I think, is so difficult. Um, I would have to see a whole lot in those 15, 20 games, and the medical reports postseason would have to check out big time for me to give him something notable in the contract situation next offseason. Um, and, it, again, it's just it, it's such a shame with where you're at. Uh, you know, I threw this question at Scott Agnes this morning when we had him on. And I don't know if you guys were, or, you know, Alex, I know you you were listening kind of in, in and out this morning, but I'll throw this mm-hmm. question at you guys right now. Rank these three most likely to be in a Pacers uniform opening night next year. Warren, Turner, Lance. Um, I would probably say I'd probably say Warren, Lance, Turner. That'd be my that'd be my ranking. It's honestly sad that that I'm debating putting Lance number one because that just means things went wrong. Yeah. You know, if that's the case, <laughs> you're talking about that Warren return and was not someone that you believed investing even a discount in. Turner, 
I don't see him on the roster on opening day. If, if that's not settled by the deadline, I think he's traded right around draft time. So I'll, I'll go with what Alex said, just because you, you hope Warren shows just enough to even be able to offer the Pacers a discount. But uh, I, I think Turner's gone and Lance, I think gets signed through the end of this year with the team option that maybe they pick up, maybe they don't. Uh, yeah. And, and you just, you feel for Turner or excuse me, Warren, because like, you know, this is his time to really cash in, or at least that was the thought. Um, and it sounds know, he like he wants to be here. Right. Right. And you know, I'll never forget the Jeremiah Johnson interview with David West up in the stands in a game, I guess it would have been Charlotte. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, I assume, I don't think it was during the pandemic season because yeah, they weren't traveling. Uh, about Warren, I'm just like, this dude is wired exactly how you want, especially for the market that the Pacers are in. And, again, the fact that we're sitting here and, and the health has dictated what his future looks like just sucks because, again, he checks so many boxes for what you would want um, and, and how he handles himself and the contentment he has or maybe the excitement, honestly, that he has to be in this market. So, uh, boy, 15 to 20 games. If you could do that, hell, you might you might have a parade outside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm still in the boat that they're going to give him uh, a team-friendly deal, and he'll accept it just because he's got a lot to prove in terms of being able to come back. So I'm going to wrap things up here. I'm going to transition to a Colts question for you. Obviously, Ooh. a disappointing season, to say the least, considering the pace – or the Colts, excuse me, did not make the playoffs. But – Quarterback controversy has been the biggest topic, and so I've been hearing a lot of people chat about it online and in group messages I'm in. So I'm going to give you six names. You're going to tell me, and I want you to rank them, which one you think is most likely to be the Colts quarterback <laughs> next year. Are you ready for this? Boy, this is Alex Golden's bringing the heat right I'm, now. I'm bringing the heat. So we've got, of course, Carson Wentz. We've got Derek Carr. We've got Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, and then a draft pick. So hey, I, I need some pen and paper. Give me, give me, uh, all right, give me those. And yeah, I'm 32 years old, but I might as well be 62. I still go the pen and paper. Okay. All right, give it to me again. All right, we Wilson, got Wentz, Rogers, Carr, Wentz, yeah. Garoppolo, and a draft pick. All right, and you're saying most likely or like? Well, let me. We'll do two rankings. We'll say your your preferred ranking, and then the most likely ranking. God, that's a great one. Okay, preferred. Um, Rogers, Wilson, Carr, <laughs> draft pick, Wentz, Garoppolo. Okay, and what do you think is most likely to happen? Most likely, and <laughs> that's a good one. Uh <laughs> Wentz, draft pick. I think the draft pick's closer than than a lot of people think. Okay. Um, Wentz, draft pick, Garoppolo, Carr, Wilson, Rogers. Okay. I love how, like, the most likely is the exact opposite. Of <laughs> yeah, nearly flipped. What I would want. <laughs> yeah, boy, that's, that's going to make you sleep well tonight. Um, well, you know, a couple, couple things. Car, I don't get why Vegas would move on from it. Like, uh, it, Mariota's a free it's agent. Vegas. <laughs> I, yes, okay, fair. But, you know, it's not like they have this – like, Jimmy G has Trey Lance right behind him. You know, Derek Carr doesn't have that. Uh, and Derek Carr just – I mean, look at how much turmoil the Raiders just had this past season. They got to the playoffs. Hell, they were, a, you know, a drive away from forcing overtime. I think it's a Bengals team that I like. Hopefully no one's listening to this after Saturday if they lose. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Boy, Rodgers and Wilson would be nice. Wouldn't uh, it? Yeah, I think Wilson's my number one just because he's of the age, but but definitely one two punch right there. So uh, I would love to-, to see. You know, sorry, now, now you got me on a on, on a little bit of a rant here. Um, I, the, the draft pick thing's intriguing. Like, you know, I I do think Frank Reich um is a good mind and a good developer of quarterback talent. I the Wentz thing. I mean, I feel like we forget how much scar tissue is there. Like, the last time Frank Reich worked with Carson Wentz before this season was 2017. I mean, he's torn his ACL since then. He's injured several other body parts. And he's played three years of football and more or less was run out of town of the team that drafted him number two overall and gave him a mega, mega deal 20 
months ago. Uh, we know full well the mental <laughs> taxing that uh, can influence athletes with the Indiana Pacers. Like, you don't think Carson Wentz feels some of that? So um, I'd like to see just Frank Reich with a blank slate drafted guy, identified traits. I thought Jacob Eason was something like that. But still, I mean, Eason was the middle of the fourth round. You know, what if he drafted, you know, second round, you know, trade back into the first, something like that. Um, I'm just I, I'm a big believer in in drafting a quarterback. I know you have a Ryan Tannehill that you know is the number one overall seed, but you know Brady is the outlier. But I mean, look, look at these quarterbacks: Burrow, yeah. Mahomes, Allen, the AFC, obviously all drafted. The NFC, yes, again, Garoppolo's worked out to a degree, but they still just drafted one three overall. That shows you what they really think about them. Um, and, and Stafford was a mega trade. Uh, but they still got to the Super Bowl with Goff, and, you know, Rodgers was drafted, and Brady is in a stratosphere all by himself. So I, I am of the thinking of the, the Tannehill retreads of the world. That's just – those are the outliers in it. I, I really think uh, to ultimately find the answer, the draft is the way to go. Granted, this year's draft doesn't look too great. Yeah, that was that was one of my concerns. But KB, we got to we got to let you go here. So feel free to steal that question for the radio if you'd like to. I uh, have yeah, no problem I might. With you it. I think you and Query would have some fun with that. But um, where can people find you out on social media? And do you have anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, K Bowen ten seventy on Twitter. Um, as you mentioned, seven to ten a.m. every morning on the fan in Indianapolis ninety three five on a seven five seven to ten. Uh, Monday through Friday is our show. So uh, always enjoy coming on with you guys. You guys do terrific work. Pacers fans are lucky to have you. And uh, should be a fun three weeks. I, I said it on air, and I know the Turner thing's a bit of a gut punch. Sabonis as well. I think it is an exciting time for Pacers fans uh, because I think finally it seems like, well, I hope the organization has realized that changes are needed. I'm not holding my breath that the owner believes that, but um, hopefully in the next three weeks, we'll start to see some steps in that direction. One Indeed. can only hope. Yeah, go ahead, hey, KB, we definitely appreciate you. It's been a blast. Just like you, I hope change is on the way. Thanks, boys. All right, and now for our last segment of the day, it's the Fan of the Week, and joining us now is Sam Colbertson. Sam, what's going on, man? Oh, not much. Uh, it's kind of cold outside, so trying to stay warm. Hey, I respect that. It is wintertime, and uh, something else that's cold right now are these Indiana Pacers. I mean, they are freezing, but they finally got a win against the Los Angeles Lakers. Look, but let's take it back. Sam, tell us, how long have you been a fan of the team? Uh, pretty much, I'd say, my whole life. Um, my dad's a big basketball person, and so am I, so kind of really great up watching them, really. Yeah, and I and I I know you play basketball. I would say your dad's probably just a little bit better than you overall. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I do have to ask them. You know, when looking at this team, and obviously all the trade rumors going around, is there a certain player you would like to see traded over somebody else, or you know, would you be okay if this team, you know, kind of only made like a minor move in a Jeremy Lamb trade and try to run it back next year with this uh, current group? Uh, well, definitely not a minor trade that I don't think that does really anything um I think my go-to being a big Kentucky fan is De'Aaron Fox I just think he's a game changer I mean Fox would be an absolute game changer I, I said it earlier in this episode I think he'd be the most talented point guard the Patriots have ever had so what was your initial reaction when you heard that you know it wasn't going to go down the, the Sabonis for Fox trade and that it seemed that Sacramento was holding on to Fox this year um, I was disappointed, um, but some of the times, like, I feel like they, when they say they're not going to do it, it happens. So I'm still holding out a little bit. Okay, so let me ask you a little bit about the, um, the, the news that came out today in regards to the Kentucky Wildcats forward Shaden Sharp, the 18-year-old, joining the team. I mean – you got to tell me uh, more about this player because I know you're a Kentucky basketball fan. And, um, you know, what are the expectations for him this college season? And uh, do you think he'll be a good NBA player? Um, I think he'll be a good NBA player. Um, I think he's about like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, um, he came in at about January. So Cal is kind of like, you know, it's kind of 50-50 if he plays this year or not. 
from what I heard that the news came out today was that Cal and him knew he was eligible anyways, and they just didn't bring it up because they didn't want it to, you know, bring the attention it has. So everything that I've heard is that he will be coming back next year. Um, and there's potential that he might play this year some. I don't know how big a role he will have because we're kind of already set and he came in late. But he, I think he's the first person on Kentucky that has been ranked number one in all of the ratings, like 247 Sports, um, ESPN. Um, I think the last person to do that was Anthony Davis. So he's super athletic. He's a good shooter score. He was doing a between the leg dunks and warmups, I think Vanderbilt. So I think he could be good. Seems like a very talented player that has Pacer fans quickly excited as we're trying to kind of sink our teeth into that next franchise player. Um, now going into the draft, I mean, talking about the draft, what would you like to see the Pacers do? I mean, obviously we're hoping to get that top five pick, but is there a specific position that you're thinking, Hey, we got to go for that. Um, I'm thinking maybe more point guard, uh, and maybe small forward. I like Jaden Ivey and Johnny Davis. I think Johnny Davis is a little more skilled maybe at this point with Jaden Ivey, but Jaden Ivey's, you know, more athletic kind of John Morant type. And then I also like Keegan Murray out of Iowa because he, he does both ends and can really score. And I think he's kind of like a – I think he's about six seven. Besides, I guess, T.J. Warren, I mean, I, I don't really feel like we've ever had – you know, or at least in the past few years had a, you know, true like small forward slash power forward uh, big time player besides Paul George, but that's been a while. So are you out on Ty Ty Washington then as a, as a potential fit for the Pacers? Um, No, I think it kind of depends on what they're looking for. Ty Ty is, he's not a flashy player, but he's very good. Um, So our point guard, Severe Wheeler got hurt. And he broke the assist record that was held by John Wall. And that's a hard record to break. I think he had 17 assists in the game. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I will say is he doesn't force shots at all. So I believe he's like about 50% from the field right now. And he is a extremely good mid-range shooter, which a lot of, I know, analytical people and stuff don't like that shot, but he doesn't miss it very often. Um, I think he would be good, but – He's not going to be like he's not he's not going to be a flashy player where you're getting highlight dunks and stuff. He's gonna I would say he's more like an Emmanuel quickly type player. It sounds still pretty interesting to me. I mean, I'm I'm intrigued. Ty Ty has been someone that you know I've really I've started to set my sights on him, and I'm excited about the potential there. So right now. I mean, the Pacers right now, things are not going the way we want them to go. What is your best case scenario for the rest of this season? I think my best case scenario is we play a lot of the younger guys or people, you know, trying to fill roster spots and then get uh, a lottery pick. I think is my best case scenario. Yeah, that that would that would be a good case scenario. I would uh, like to ask you as my final question. It'll be a two-parter. Who is your favorite current Indiana Pacer, and who is your favorite former Indiana Pacer? Ooh, current, I think it has to be Lance Stevenson. Oh, I thought you were going to um, drop an Isaiah Jackson on us, like your Kentucky talk over here. I like him. Uh, I was kind of surprised he got drafted that high, um, but I guess most bigs in the NBA now are just like, you know, shot blockers and dunkers. Um, I think he has potential. And then uh, pass pacer, uh, I don't know. It might it might be Paul George. Uh, he was exciting. I mean, all, all great players over there. Right now, it, it's, it's tough for me. I like me some Sabonis. I like Lance Stevenson. But, you know, I, I miss having, like, a true franchise player like a Paul George or a Danny Granger or a Reggie Miller. So I'm still in search of that next type of franchise player. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely have to uh, um, see what happens here with the Pacers, but you guys can follow Sam on Twitter at SJC2397. Um, if you want to ask Sam any more questions, his DMs are open. So hit him up on Twitter. 
Sam, thanks so much. And uh, you know how we end this show every single time, don't you? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to have you uh, answer the question when I ask you, and you're going to give me your best impersonation of Fachi's Let's Go Pacers. So if you're excited that the Pacers beat LeBron James in the Los Angeles Lakers Wednesday night behind Karis LeVert's 22.4th quarter and DeMontis Bonus' triple-double, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.